Good morning. <laughs> hey, pull it in now, pull it in. <laughs> A lot of new foods tried over the um, holidays by the sounds of it. I, I don't think I tried anything new, but I had a few mean burgers in, uh, in Taupo. So if you go to Taupo, go to Jimmy Coop's and get a burger. Um, how's everyone's week been? Everyone had a good week? Yeah, good week. I had a great week. I spent the last few days of the week uh, over in Taupo with my mum and dad. Uh, plenty of lake swims. I actually left my wife and baby at home um, and they had quite the opposite experience so I better not brag too much but Sam locked uh, the keys in the car with her wallet in the car and I had the other set of keys so um, it just made for a great couple of days for her while I was relaxing and swimming in the lake but anyway I'll digress. Um, if you weren't with us uh, last week, last week we began a series called uh, I'm ready, and this series is all about how Jesus tells his followers to live their lives ready, to live their lives ready as if he could return at any moment, and, and basically there's a key text for this series that it kind of came from, so we're going to dive right into it this morning, so uh, if you're following along, we're going to go to Luke 12:35. this is Jesus speaking, he says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them just as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready." Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You must be also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. You must be ready all the time, because the Son of Man will come when least expected. Jesus urges us to live our lives with a posture of readiness, to live our lives with a, a posture of devotion, a posture of passion where we're growing more and more ready. And so across the series, we're going to be discussing what does it actually mean to live our lives ready. Um, last week, we talked about I'm ready to commit. We talked about I'm ready to commit, and we discussed that the commitments that we make in life will ultimately determine the outworking of our life. Our commitments will shape our lives, and we talked about a few practical things that we need to commit to. We talked about committing to gathering with our local church. We talked about how that is a staple, that is sacred in the Bible, and having that as a rhythm, something that we build our lives around. We talked about committing to serving that if we want to become more like Jesus, we take up the place of a servant. And we talked about doing that uh, in every form of life, in every sphere. And finally, we talked about giving, committing to honoring God with our first and best because that protects our heart and guards us from materialism in our lives. That's what we talked about last week. We talked about uh, committing. The topic for this week is, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to die. Super encouraging, I know. Welcome back to church. Um, anyway, I'll explain. So, you know, in Christianity, by far the most, uh, the symbol associated with Christianity is the cross. It's kind of like the hallmark, right? It's what you think of when you, when you think of Christianity, you think about the cross. But the thing is, in, in our world today, the cross doesn't quite carry the same connotation 
that it carried when, uh, when Jesus walked the earth. The cross in our day is, is, it can often be like a form of artistic expression. It can be a form of uh, fashion. People wear crosses around their neck. They wear gold crosses and silver crosses and um, platinum crosses. People have cross earrings. People hang up crosses for decorations on their wall. People get tattoos with crosses on them. It, it sort of carries this artistic uh, fashion-like connotation. But in Jesus' time, the cross was the ultimate symbol of shame. It was the ultimate symbol of scorn. It was the ultimate symbol of humiliation. It was the worst possible way you could die. In fact, it was so bad that Roman citizens wouldn't even allow their worst criminals to be crucified because it was that degrading. It was almost like the modern-day equivalent of being uh, filmed live on Facebook, being humiliated and tortured and spat on and then being killed in in front of the world for everyone to see in the worst possible way. That is what Jesus endured. That is what the cross actually embodies. It's It's a connotation of a gruesome death. It's actually a torture device. And I've wondered with how the cross is portrayed in our current culture, if it it actually inhibits us from really grasping the true meaning of the cross, actually grasping the true weight that the cross carried, and and actually grasping what Jesus actually endured and and what that means for us. Because the cross, what it really represents is it represents one dying, one dying to himself that many others might live. It represents one laying down his life that many others might find life. This is what Jesus said to his disciples when he predicted the death that was awaiting him on the cross. This is what he says in John 12. He says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servants also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. And what Jesus is teaching in this uh, passage, he's teaching about this paradoxical principle in the kingdom of God that actually to find life, we first need to die. That to find life, a death needs to first take place. It's what happened with Jesus, that in order for us to find eternal life, he had to die. And it's the same for us as his disciples, to walk in the fullness of that life, we must first die to ourselves that we might live for Christ. This is how the Message Bible puts that verse. It says, listen carefully, unless a grain of wheat is buried in the ground, dead to the world, it is never any more than a grain of wheat. But if it is buried, it sprouts and reproduces itself many times over. In the same way, anyone who holds on to life just as it is, destroys that life. But if you let it go, reckless in your love, you'll have it forever, real and eternal life. In order to find Christ, there must first be a death to self. In order to find life, there must first be a form of self-denial. There must first be a form of death to self. That is a theme right throughout the Bible. You know, if you think about baptism, that is literally what it represents. When we go under the water, that is, that's representing us dying to ourselves, dying to our old way of life, dying to self-sufficiency, dying to us being in charge of our lives. When we're under the water, it represents us being being buried with Christ. And when we come out of the water, it represents us being raised to new life, being raised now in right standing with God, being raised new in spirit, being raised to serve God. But we can't be raised to new life unless a death first takes place. We need to die in order that we might live. This is what Paul says about baptism in Romans 6. He says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, 
we, were joined, we joined him in his death. For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And then Paul goes on to talk about this reality in his own life in Galatians 2. He says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. I have died to my own way and and, and that is dead and buried. And now it's just Christ expressing himself through me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In order for us to live, we must first die to ourselves. We must first die to our own lives. We must first die to our own will. We must first die to our own way. We must first die to our own, opinion, our own opinions, our own pleasures, that we might live for Christ. You know, maybe for you, that hasn't been your understanding of the Christian gospel. Maybe for you, the gospel you've been taught is that you invite God into your life and he blesses your life, but actually the Christian gospel is that you die to your life and you, and you give your life to serve him. And that's actually where you find life. Jesus talks about this, talked about this a lot with the people that were following him. He said that there's a cost with following Jesus. This is what he says in Luke 14. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Everything has to be secondary. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. He said, it's just impossible. If you uh, don't have me in that position of number one, you cannot truly follow me. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. He's actually warning them. He's saying, don't follow me unless you've counted the cost. Because there is going to be a cost with following me, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what, or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. It's pretty deep, isn't it? It's a pretty high cost. Just let that sink in for a minute. You cannot truly be my disciple unless you're willing to let go of everything you own and put me in that position of number one. There is a cost to following Jesus. There is a cost to following Jesus, and that cost is to die to ourselves. It's to die to our wants. It's to die to our will, and it's to trust God and commit our lives to his will. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16. Whoever wants to be my disciples must, say must, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, 
but whoever loses their life for me will find it. If you want to cling to your life and save it and you, want, you still want to govern your own life, you're going to end up losing it. But if you give your life to Christ, you will find true life. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, get everything they wanted, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. In order to live for Christ, we, may, we must die to ourselves. In order to live for Christ, you must die to yourselves. But here lies the great paradox. What the devil wants you to believe is that your life is going to get less by dying to yourself. He wants you to believe that you're going to lose out by dying to yourself. He wants you to believe that, that your life is going to be less and worthless by dying to yourself. But the truth is, is that the gateway to true life is dying to yourself. Your life gets better in all the most important ways. You, you find contentment and fulfillment and purpose that you cannot find by trying to govern your own life. Jesus explains this concept so beautiful in a parable that he shares to a crowd. He says this in Matthew 13, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. You know, he's talking about a man that's discovered this priceless treasure in a field. He's seen it, he's discovered this treasure, and he sees it's worth, so he hides it, he buries it, and he goes away and he gives up everything he has that he might come back and get that treasure. It's an analogy of us finding life in Christ. We find Christ and we realize that he is so much greater and better than anything this world can offer. So we let go of what we have in this world that we might find Christ. It's, it's a cost, but we get so much better in return. I love how Dallas Willard explains this so eloquently. This is what he says. The self-denial of Matthew 16, 24 and elsewhere in the Gospels is always the surrender of a lesser, dying self for a greater eternal one. Jesus does not deny us personal fulfillment, but shows us the only true way to it. In him we find our life. He wants, us to, he wants to keep us from selling our birthright as creatures in God's image, a birthright of genuine goodness, sufficiency for which we are fitted by nature for a mere bowl of soup. Money, a little illicit sex, reputation, power, and so forth. Tr taking Jesus as our master means we trust his way is right. So what he's saying is that you actually gain so much more. That it's actually the death to self is, the, is where you find true life. And the devil wants you to believe that, 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 that you are going to lose out. And we need to know that. We need to be totally convinced that God is worthy of our trust. We need to be totally convinced that, that he wants the best for us because if we're not totally convinced, we won't lay down our lives to him. But if we are totally convinced, we can trust him. And the, 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 the place we go to find that love is we go to the cross. That while we were at our worst, he died for us. While we were unworthy, he died for us. That he gave everything for us. It says in Romans that he who did not spare his own son but um, gave him, how will he not through him also freely give us all things? You know, uh, God loves you. God loves me and he just wants us to trust him and that is where we find life. This is what uh, David Benner of um, an author says. He's, he's really saying that the essence of sin is really just the failure to trust God. It's a failure to trust that God knows best. It's a failure to trust that God wants the best for you and it's to take control of your own life. This is what he says. St. Ignatius of Loyola, one of the early patristic church fathers, notes that sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. 
until I am absolutely convinced of this, until I am absolutely convinced that God wants the best for me, I will do everything I can to keep my hands on the controls of my life because I think I know better than God what I need for fulfillment. We need to trust God that he wants the best for your life. Your life is not going to get less by laying it down to Jesus. It's going to get richer in all of the best ways. And that takes me to a question. What is it in your life that you need to die to? What is it in your life that you need to lay down? What is it in your life that you need to die to? Maybe for you it's something very specific. Maybe as I'm speaking, the Holy Spirit's just working in your heart and he's bringing a very specific example. Maybe for you it's, it's laying down control. Maybe for you it's laying down a relationship that you're in. Maybe for you it's laying down how you spend your time and money. Maybe for you, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe for you it's something very specific that God's talking to you about. Maybe a secret addiction. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe there's something in your life specific that the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, lay this down. But equally, maybe for you it's nothing specific. Maybe it's just a reminder to take up your cross daily. Maybe it's just a reminder to take up the way of self-denial. Maybe it's just a, a reminder to deny yourself that others might live. You know, in Luke's account of that passage of scripture that we read earlier, he includes a word that Matthew didn't. This is what he recorded that Jesus said. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Take up their cross daily. You see, following Jesus, it's not a one-time death. It's not just being baptized and so yeah, I died back then. It's actually a daily decision to lay down your life and take up the will of God. It's a daily decision to die to yourself. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Galatian church. Listen to what he says in Galatians 5. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, we all still have a flesh that wants to live independent from God. I, I, you know, I experience it all the time where there's a desire to do something that is not the desire I want to do. But Paul says, don't focus on those. Actually focus on the Spirit and walk by the Spirit so you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. They're in conflict with each other. And the Spirit the spirit is what is in contrary to the flesh. It's kind of like having a donut in front of you and you're like, I really want to eat that, but no, I shouldn't. It's kind of, it's kind of like a, a back and forth. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. That's a bit different to what they tell you in the world, eh? Just do whatever you want. Be yourself. Live your best life. Uh, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, adultery and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, cut that out guys, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit, the life governed by the Spirit of God, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus has crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us walk in step with the Spirit. Let us walk and step by the Spirit. Those who follow Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its desires. It's a decision to lay down. It's a decision to lay down and pick up the Spirit. In order to follow Jesus, we must first die to ourselves. I just want to invite the, the worship team back up. You know, uh, I talked about earlier, there is a cost to following Jesus. I talked about there's a cost to following Jesus, but there's also a cost to not following Jesus. 
There's a cost to following Jesus. It will, it will cost you your selfish ambitions. It will cost you your, your own desires. It will cost you your, your own will to, to govern your life. But the cost to not following Jesus is far greater. It will cost you a life of meaning. It will cost you a life of fulfillment. It will cost you an eternal reward. It could even cost you your eternal destiny. The, the cost for not following Jesus is so much greater. And, and the, the paradox is, is when we find Jesus we get true life. And I want to explain this with an example of a, of a story um, of a life lived by the, by the name of, of George Mueller, a man named George Mueller. In his early years, this man lived a life marked by deep sin. He deceived his parents. He stole money. He went to prison at the age of 16. He lived a life, in his own words, of immorality and chased after pleasure. However, that man had a radical encounter with Jesus Christ. He describes this in a letter that he wrote in 1902. This is what he says. I became a believer in the Lord Jesus in the beginning of November, 1825. Now 69 years, uh, now 69 years and eight months. For the first four years afterwards, it was a good part and great weakness. But in July, 1829, now 66 years since, it came with me to an entire and full surrender of my heart. I gave myself fully to the Lord. Honours, pleasures, money, my physical powers, my mental powers, all were laid down at the feet of Jesus, and I became a great lover of the Word of God. I found my all in God, and thus, in all my trials of a temporal and spiritual character, it has remained for 66 years. You know, that man, George Milner, who, who once lived that life, this is what he went on to do with his life. He would be responsible for the fostering of 10,000 orphans, establishing 117 schools, which offered a Christian education to over 120,000 people. He would distribute almost 300,000 Bibles, 1.5 million testaments, and 112 million religious books, pamphlets and tracts, aiding missionaries all over the world, and he would preach personally to three million people. His life was completely transformed, and that man will have a reward in heaven that is going to be so great, all because he died to himself, all because he laid down his life, all because he chose that total surrender, and look what God did through him. This is what he says in his own words. There was a day when I died, died to George Mueller, his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will, died to the world, its approval or censure, died to the approval or blame even of my brethren or friends, and since then I have studied only to show myself approved unto God. It is interesting that someone said of George Mueller that he had the 23rd Psalm written on his face, the Psalm of peace and contentment and fulfillment. Apparently he was a man that was just marked by peace all because he trusted God enough to lay down his life. So if you want to stand to your feet this morning, the question I'm going to leave you with today is what has to die in your life that you might walk in true life? What has to die in your life that you might walk in true life? And I'm just going to pray uh, this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are so good that your love is incomprehensible, that you love us so much more than we even know, that you would give your most prized possession when we didn't deserve it, that you would pursue us when we were running away, that you would be patient and kind and full of grace and mercy. And I thank you that we, we can trust you. I thank you that the life that you have planned for us is the life that we're designed to live. I thank you that you want to use each of us in this room for your glory. Lord, to, to become like you in character, 
to worship you, to share your message with others, to be in the family of God. Lord, you want, you've got a rich and satisfying life for each of us. Lord, would you give us the grace to trust you? Lord, those things in our lives that we're holding on to, would you give us the grace to, to lay them down? And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move in each person's heart, that you would move in my heart, and you would reveal what is it? What is that next step of surrender? I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.